Yes, sir. What is happening, guys? Welcome back to Creating Space. I'm your host, Wes Knight. This is episode number 17. On this episode, I'm bringing to you Mr. Ben Rosen. Ben and I were college roommates. He has now gone on to have a successful, a largely successful comedy career, as well as using that wit, packaging it up to be a senior creative strategist for Twitter. But before we do that, in a do-it-yourself digital world, there are some things that you should really just get professional help on. That's what I did with my logo. From brand identity to websites, digital and traditional design, just go to Pixel Tech Studio com for more information and make sure you tell Clay that Wes sent you. All right, so some of the things we talk about on this episode, Ben explains the importance of using wit every day, professionally and personally. He shares a few stories about what it was like as he was beginning to build his comedy career. Then the conversation takes a little bit of a turn and we get real. And Ben and I talk about our experiences with dealing with anxiety, panic attacks, and so on. We go in a couple of different directions here and there's a lot of value, I believe, in this meat and bones of the conversation. We come outside of it and Ben talks a little bit about what it's been like forming a successful relationship as an asexual. He's now engaged and that's a big moment for him. So this episode is incredible, lots of laughs, Tons of humor. I think you're going to enjoy it. Let's welcome Ben Rosen onto the show. What is happening, guys? Welcome back to Creating Space. I am here with one of my lifelong best friends. Uh, This is Benjamin Rosen. He is a senior creative strategist at Twitter. That's right. The Twitter. He's formerly of BuzzFeed. Uh, he's also a writer for the Baltimore Ravens, <laughs> and on the side, he has uh, a comedy career, which is really interesting. That is, as that's a, being generous, <laughs> yeah, being generous. <laughs> and we are so lucky to have Ben as he's on his morning walk down the streets of Brooklyn, headed to the Twitter office. Ben, what's happening, my man? How are you doing, Wes? Wes and I haven't caught up in like way too long. Uh, we we're roommates in college. Uh, I, I was obviously victorious over Wes many, many times in racquetball. Um, <laughs> whenever we went to the, co- uh, the college gym. That's um, very true. I was an athlete, obviously, a soccer player at Charleston. And Ben was, uh, ben was not? the wittiest <laughs> not guy. <laughs> if, there was, if there was a sport for wit, Ben would have been uh, a gold medalist. <laughs> no. But Ben, ben had oh, one no. thing over me, and that was racquetball. And he would whoop me. Uh, yeah, continuously. you uh, you guys understand that that Wes and I are both on an inside joke where that never happened. <laughs> Wes beat me every single time. There may have been a time where I scored one point against Wes. Nah, He's well, very very fast. Well, Ben's very very podcast. tall, and you just keep the ball real low, and he can't get there. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ben, yeah. tell me a little bit about this walk to Twitter, man. When I think sure. about Twitter, and I yeah. think about all that is involved in that company i'm thinking like google you walk in and all of a sudden yeah. you teleport from the front step up to your desk like <laughs> what, what is it like in it's, at, at twitter it's definitely it's impressive they definitely have um they have so many offices around the world there's the main office is actually not in new york their main office is in san francisco i was there last week and it's like it'll drop your jaw as soon as you come in there's like two cafeterias in one of the buildings and then two cafeterias in the other. They do breakfast and lunch and dinner. They have these big screens. They have like, you know, all the conference rooms are equipped with like a, like a Google hangout thing. So when you 
are conferencing with somebody, it's like crystal clear HD. You know, every every meeting is just like already uploaded into the rooms, so you can just walk in and like start your meeting. It's awesome. It's oh, really, really like man. that's that's like really high. There's no like teleportation that I know of. <laughs> so I'm thinking the Jetsons. Maybe that's a little uh, optimistic. <laughs> yeah, I would love to walk into a room and just like end up in like Dubai. That'd be nice. Well, a Twitter in a, inside Twitter in a Twitter yeah. meeting. What what is the language? What is that like for for the listeners who, <laughs> especially individuals like myself, who spend a lot of <laughs> my time on social media? Like, what is the language inside Twitter? What, oh. what are people talking about? And when you walk by individuals, are you only speaking in sentences or or yeah, you know, one hundred and forty characters or or <laughs> yeah. less? Well, at least from a business perspective, it's the same as every other company, which is just total garbage. It's made up made up garbage business talk <laughs> that everybody says, Oh, we got to, you know, hit the right metrics and do the right things. You know, right. that's, that's standard across all businesses, but everybody there is so nice. Everybody there is, you know, amazing. I think, um, they, they've done a nice job of, of hiring people who, who fit the right, like profile of nice, friendly, intelligent, helpful, you know, all that kind of stuff. So awesome. Um, it's, it is really nice. Well, I need to, I need for the listeners, guys, I need you to understand why it was so important for me to get Ben on the show. Not only was Ben uh, a roommate of mine for two years at the college of Charleston, uh, Ben is one of the funniest guys <laughs> literally I've ever met. Not only that, I mean, I need to read a little bit of your resume. I mean, you've performed at the Laughing Devil Comedy Festival. You mm -hmm. performed um, on Deadspin's Comedy Week. Yep. Uh, you've been interviewed by the Rolling Stones mm -hmm. magazine. I mean, oh, yeah. you've been featured fun. in College Humor, oh, yeah. featured on VH1. You even make gifts, Ben. I make gifts. You Your know what, gifts have eclipsed 12 that. million views, man. <laughs> you have always been, been a hilarious guy, but I have to set the scene. So when I realized Ben Rosen was special was because back in the day, Ben dying? lived in the third floor. <laughs> ben lived on the third floor and I lived on the very bottom. And I would go up to hang with Ben because he'd just make me laugh. And who doesn't like hanging with <laughs> someone that's hilarious? So I would walk up to the third floor and Ben would be up there on his computer and he'd be, he was typing and I'm Ben, what are you typing? Man? With this. And what he was typing were rap battles. Hardcore rap battles. Rap battles. He was on a website called Boxed In <laughs> and he was battling against other writers <laughs> who were, <laughs> who were battling against each other West on this ben. website. And, and wait, Ben, not <laughs> only was he battling, he was killing people <laughs> no. with his wit in in his in his bars that he was writing and i started to read them and they were so witty so cleverly destructive that i was like this guy is a genius and it is no it is no question to me why you have been able to take that wit package it and turn it into what you're doing today man. that's incredible Wes, you have just unleashed the secret of all <laughs> white people. Like this is this is the whitest rap thing you could ever possibly describe. It's yeah, well, none of us, none of us were ever going to freestyle no, or rap. We would be we would be, yeah. be destroyed if no our chance. voices ever got recorded rapping. People would be 
embarrassed and shamed and it would be declared a national state of emergency it would be awful yeah it, w- it would have been no good really quickly no good for anybody but for yeah. anybody um, but but tell me this you know once killed those nerds <laughs> <laughs> absolute dweebs <laughs> yeah, those um, dweebs online the other people who are exactly like us we got them uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if they still live. No, uh, they, they couldn't. They couldn't since college, it. though, Ben, you yeah. um, you you you've moved on and you started to progress your career. How did how did you begin to do do stand up comedy? Where did that come yeah. into your whole routine? That was that was actually something I've always really wanted to do. Um, I've always loved stand up, and I always wanted to to perform. I just thought that that would be the best. You know, the best thing ever is to just get paid to go up on stage and tell jokes and travel around and all that stuff and um i let's see after college i was i was as you may or may not remember i don't know i don't know how loud i was about it but uh i was trying to start a business with my friend um and we were in you know i was in uh entrepreneurship classes and i wrote a whole you know business plan and i put together a business with my friend and we went off and tried to start it after college and you know we spent a good year and a half two years trying to make that business viable it didn't work and um i was kind of left with like i have no idea what to do with my life right now as everybody does (laughs) when they leave college it's a money well spent (laughs) in college um so (laughs) i i started bartending and i started waiting tables in baltimore and um my friend I, one of my best friends, he had told me this story about when he was in his fraternity and they uh, had this thing called like, I think they named it, uh, So You Think You're Funny, and they challenge each other to do five minutes of an open mic at a stand-up, you know, stand-up club. And I remember hearing him telling me about that, how about they challenged the friend and he got there and he was awful. And in my head, I was like, man, I wish somebody would challenge me to do stand-up. <laughs> at a club and i'm like why don't i just challenge me to do stand-up at a state why do i have to be challenged why does it have to be in that you know in that structure <laughs> so right. i i put together you know i i looked online i found the one comedy club that was in baltimore and they had this open mic around christmas and i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna put together my set so i i put together they give you i think it's six minutes or seven minutes um, which is a while uh, for an open mic. It's a, it's a long time. And that does seem like a long time, especially if it's it one of your first times to stand up very in front long. of people. Yeah, it's super long. Um, but they, they make you do seven minutes or somewhere in that range. And um, I put together my set and I rehearsed it uh, in the basement to the point where I could recite it if you were punching me in the face. Like I was like, <laughs> I have to like exactly, this is how I've written it. This is how I'm going to say it. Um, and I got, I got there, they give you like a five, five friend minimum that you have to bring. So I brought five, I made sure who the five people were that saw it. It was like family, like a sit, my sister and her husband and like, you know, nobody else really. I got up on stage and there was like 13, you know, other comics there. And I won the competition my first night. I blacked out. I don't remember a fucking thing. I don't know if I can curse <laughs> on this thing. I'm sorry. You might have to bleep it. But No, it, absolutely. You say whatever you want, Ben Rosen. When you're right. verified on Twitter, you do what you We're want. We're free. <laughs> <laughs> this is about to be a very different show. Um, no. I, I, I won the competition the first, the first time I went up. 
And it, when you win, you get to host the weekend show with like, you know, with a, with a big name comic, which is a terrible idea. I can't emphasize that enough. But a host is supposed to be like your most veteran, established, keep the show running, smart comic. This is like my second time up on stage. They're having me run the show. Wow. And so I did that over the weekend. I got some pointers from you know, one of the guys that was there. And then I, uh, I did the competition the next time. And I won it the second time I did it. And so I got to host another weekend. And then I did the new talent competition a third time. And I won it the third time. So I'm like, okay, I should probably, I should probably keep doing stand-up. Yeah, like, this is working. this is the universe trying to tell me, um, you're I, good at this, kid. Listen, should, listen to me. <laughs> or, or the act before me is just this ninety-year-old drunk man talking about how he was <laughs> lost on a highway. I, mean, I, I feel like that probably. I feel <laughs> like that probably was a guy. It's a that mixed was, bag. <laughs> yeah, that was, he was there. <laughs> he was there doing some stand-up. So you you found out that you you loved to perform you've always I been did. a performer ben you've always been doing something in front of individuals <laughs> that to make them laugh do you feel like you've cultivated that humor and that wit um from something you know yeah. a lot of people say that it could be a mask for other things or a sure. way to deal with some things do you feel yeah. is there anything that's happened in your lifetime where you felt like you used wow. wit for protection and like, you were able to to grow that like every it's a complete every day of my life thing no uh <laughs> when, with masks all sorts of stuff uh yeah when i was a kid um i remember i remember there were some jerks everybody had jerks at their school i had a couple jerks at my school and i remember them like you know trying to intimidate me and all that kind of stuff and just i remember working on what i called my comebacks I was like, you got to yeah. work on your comebacks, man. Like, like they're going to say some stuff to you. You got to hit them back with something. So I used to work on how I would retaliate, you know, and if yeah. they would come up and say something to me, I had like everything prepared to go get them. And uh, that was okay. That worked uh, at, at first. Um, so they kind of left me alone a little bit. Um, but as I got older, I feel like sometimes I, I, I still do it in like, bad meetings and things like that i use it usually to diffuse a lot of the tension in the room there's usually like an awkwardness or it's it's horribly boring or something yeah. is going wrong you know it's really like you can you can just taste it that like somebody should say something to make it not this hey, I, I love that you've always been that guy not afraid to say mm. something in that moment and, and cut the Let, tension i love that because that's that's uh, you can feast on that prize. That's so good. If you're it the is. one who breaks the tension, then they're like, this guy's a hero. Yeah. You're he the champion. This, he just saved this meeting. He's great. <laughs> I love this guy. Let's get him this, on board. Let's, can, can we make him CEO? He's the best. <laughs> he had a uh, cutting remark in our meeting. We should put him in charge of this company. Everyone's talking this other language and Ben comes in with the humor and he saves the day every it's, single there, time. Man. Yeah. My favorite one. I, if I, if I can, I was in a meeting uh, at another, uh, not at Twitter. And, um, we were talking about, it was like kind of a clappy meeting. You know how sometimes you do like meetings and like they're announcing stuff and they're like, yeah, we're going to do this. And everyone claps. And then one person came up and presented and they're like, okay, we need to, uh, she was like, 
talking about how we needed more diversity in the company, which is true. We did. And she got up there and it went from like clappy, clappy, clappy meeting. And then she got up there and she's like, here's a pie chart of how white this company is. And it was Ooh. just like, kind of like everyone was like, didn't know how to react to it. So it I just sucked, started it clapping. sucked the wind out of the room. You clap. <laughs> yeah, <started laughs> oh, it's no. like a joke. I'm like, it was like a pause. And I was like, yay, we did it, right? No? Um, and it was just like it diffused a lot of the tension of the room because it's such a, you know, it's such a crazy. Shift. And that was a knee-jerk reaction for you. Yeah, Is there I ever, mean, yeah. Was there, was there ever a time where you've done those knee-jerk reactions or had those comebacks? And it failed? And, <laughs> and, and you, you sat there thinking, oh, my God, how do I get myself out of this situation? Yeah, usually I just rely on the – I just own it. If you like, if you do a joke and it's bad and everybody recognizes it's bad, you may as well just be like, all righty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next one, next time. Uh, Seth right? McFarlane does a great job of that on Family yeah. Guy. He's really good at, at uh, going yeah. from one oh, bad joke so to the other. At, every time I watch that show, there's at least – two things that make me laugh out loud. They take a lot of different shots and a lot of different styles of humor. And there's something in there that'll get you. It'll surprise you. It's always every time, every, every time. single time Peter Griffin and, and his genius, that character, just so how good. beautiful he does. The, the stupid dad, like so good. He plays that role so well. Ben, I want to, I want to kind of switch gears here, man. I want to talk a sure. little bit because I'm coffee I, all over. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I'm jealous that you have coffee. I'm sitting here and I didn't even make <laughs> myself and I'm at, I'm at home. You're on the walk. Here's a quick question for you. You know, you're, you're a content creator at Twitter. You've been there at Buzzfeed. Yeah. I mean, Buzzfeed is cool on, in and of its own. You make gifts for the Baltimore Ravens. You make gifts yeah. for yourself. People love what you're doing. What does a content creator do when he has a brain fart? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, it happens a lot. Um, usually, you just kind of, if you can't loop somebody else in, that's my first, my first, you know, course of action is to find one of my coworkers, find somebody that I'm working with or find a friend and be like, hey, uh, can I get your eyes on this for a second? What do you think? I, it's kind of like, I don't know why it's so taboo to, to reach out for help. Collaborate. Um, yeah. Collaborate. I mean, uh, brainstorms of one suck. Brainstorms of eight are like the best. Um, yeah. you, can, you can get looped into some like group thing, which is not good, but if you're, you know, a good tastemaker, then you won't uh, fall victim to that. But I do like looping in somebody else first. If there's nobody else around, I kind of take a, it's good to just like take a break, walk around, do something. If you have the time, I'm pretty bad about that. Cause I procrastinate a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I had something that we're all learning stuff here. We're breaking down barriers. I need to work on that. I get it. Um, but I would get up, walk around, try and do something else, try and, at least establish some um, some mode of play. Um, John Cleese has a fantastic lecture. If anybody's interested, it's like from 1993. It's on um, creativity and the art of being creative. It's like it's amazing. It's one of my favorite favorite pieces of content that I've ever watched online. Um, he talks about the two different modes that somebody could be in. Hey, we got a truck passing by, so watch out. Um, <laughs> the two different modes that somebody could be in, uh, there's the open mode and then there's the closed mode. So you have, um, you know, people who are um, in the right mindset to be creative and to be open and to, to grab things on the exterior of, uh, you know, 
where their brain is looking or people who are very focused on a task. And he says that you can only exist in the creative space for so long. You can't, you can't be in there too long, the open space. And you have to kind of, uh, part of the thing that opens it up is the art of play. So you need to be playful um, before that whole thing opens up for you. And I, I thought that was so interesting. Um, a good example that he had was, I think the, the uh, guy who discovered penicillin was uh, originally not looking for it. And he was, uh, he was posturing that the reason why he discovered it was because he was in the open mode, because he was looking for growth. He was looking to grow bacteria on a, on a Petri dish. And there was one sample um, that was not growing anything. And that was against his task. Like his task was to find growth, but he had a Petri dish that wasn't finding any growth. Um, and he discovered, uh, he didn't just throw out that dish and say, this isn't what I'm looking for. He like, kind of critically analyzed it and was like, why is this one not growing anything? And then he discovered penicillin. So it was wow. like, it was, that's, that's the same kind of mentality that you need to be in when you're being creative or you're being, you know, you're brainstorming, you're trying to come up with something. Don't just look at it as like, what's the thing, what's the thing, what's the thing. But like, let me just, let me just think about a lot of things right now. And let me get, yeah. let me open up my mind a little bit and think about other stuff. Like just start thinking about like ice hockey. I don't know. Maybe that'll open <laughs> something up. Uh, who knows? Are there, are there any methods that you use when you're, when you're in a spot in life where you feel like maybe you're too involved in yourself and you Every need, day. you know, where you need to get out and collaborate. Um, I think that that's a, that's a huge, that's a kind of a huge risk as you continue your career is like yeah, with anything really, because your whole career is kind of like this big ladder. And I don't like to use the ladder analogy because um, I don't think that people should follow a straight line ladder. But um, as you continue to progress in your career and be more professional, whatever you do, um, it's expected that you are the one that's doing everything the more you move up, right? Because uh, you, when you start, you need all the help. You're new, you don't know anything, everybody collaborates. And as you get more advanced in your career, it's like, okay, now you're the guy. You're the guy that's supposed to do all of it. You're the number one. We're relying on you top down. And so it's kind of not, it kind of defeats the whole spirit of a team and things like that. You really do need to step outside and be, say, look, hey, I'm, I may be in this position where, yeah, I'm, I'm the guy, but I still want to work with other people. You know, you still need to bring in other people and create a good, fun environment, no matter what you're doing. That's the only way you're going to get stuff done. So that's interesting. Uh, what are your keys to creating a solid team around you, both professionally yeah. and personally? Listening, listening to your team. I can't, the more corporate a place gets, the less they listen to everybody and it ruins companies. It ruins wow. them. It, it's, um, I think the only example I can think of, of a, of a corporate company who, who listened and it was not on purpose. They did like, I think it was IBM. It's one of the eyes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, they, they had this like, they were doing some, one team in IBM and this massive company was doing this like roast. It always goes back to comedy, doesn't it? They were doing some like roast about whatever, the, the company or this guy or, or whatever they were doing. And they landed on... Um, everybody started roasting the product like, yeah, yeah, this thing sucks so bad and blah, blah, blah. And they all were laughing and having fun. 
But then the next day they were like, yeah, so that thing sucks. That thing sucks really bad. <laughs> oh, I guess we should fix it. <laughs> like, you know, it was only until they did like an honest, like open discussion about what they were working on that it came up that everybody in the company hated this one thing. And they were like, well, we should probably, we should fix it now, I guess, because everybody hates it. Um, so sometimes, the, you know, when you're, the higher ups don't hear it, either they're not listening or people aren't telling them what's wrong. And, um, you know, they might be ignoring it, but the problem doesn't get fixed and it doesn't move as efficiently as like a five person company. Sure. So, um, so yeah, I would so say listening is listening is big. How do you keep yourself having that same mindset when it comes to, because you're recently engaged. Congratulations. Hey, <laughs> That's, uh, although, <laughs> although you, you <laughs> got, got her, got it. What a dumb dumb. I had to shoot all of that. Here, here's the, here's the question. It's so exciting that, that you found yourself an individual who, yeah. you know, we all need to be put up with, right? We're, we're yeah. all crazy in our own right. It's, it's, it's so awesome, man. Um, what have you found in running a obviously successful relationship mm-hmm. is the key to having that interpersonal uh, communication and the honesty. I'm so glad you teed this up. This is like, <laughs> give me a megaphone for this one. Please. All right. Yeah. All right. So, I have, uh, as as you know, Wes, and I'm sure your viewers have no idea. Um, <laughs> for for a very long time, um, I was a uh, self described asexual, so I'm not really focused on the physicality, and I would really still say that that mostly still applies. Uh, I'm not really focused on sex; never really been a, a focal point for me, and uh, that kind of led to me just kind of doing my own thing for the most part. Um, so I wasn't totally looking for, uh, Casey, her name's Casey, by the way. Hey, Casey, I guess I get the green light to tell her real name. Um, so (laughs) (laughs) it's my green light to have here, uh, on this creative space. I wasn't really looking, looking for anything. Um, and it kind of happened very organically. We were working together. Um, she worked at Buzzfeed with me and we just kind of started hanging out. And, um, you know, since she knew my deal and I knew my deal, um, there wasn't really any pressure. There wasn't really anything like, you know, no tension, no anything. And we really just got a chance to, uh, to take our gloves off and just hang out as two people that are, you know, naturally who we are very silly, very weird people. And so, um, so we just got a chance to, to really just grow our friendship. So we started hanging out. And the more and more that like I spent time with her, the more I wanted to spend time with her. And I would go over to her house and we would play games and we would laugh and joke and be silly. And it was like the first time since I was, you know, even before college that I felt like, oh, my God, this is like me and my most natural state around her is just being a goofball. And, uh, she's like the first person that I've met that really opens that up for me in, you know, my adult life. So we, we really got a chance to, um, to express that. And then over time, I'm like, I I have spent literally every day with her this month and I only want to hang out with her more than I've been hanging out with her. So that was a really good sign for me. Uh, we had a very quick turnaround in terms of like started dating um, you know, falling in love and, and 
you know, being engaged and getting ready for marriage. But that, that's an incredible uh, turn yeah. of events, man. I, I'm jealous. I, I would no, love to no. find a, a woman who was would uh, allow me to be myself and be comfortable and someone I could hang with on a daily basis. That is incredible, man. The thing, the thing that I want to to want to preach is that a lot of my friends, and I've watched them throughout the years, and I've also watched a lot of comics, which is like is just a disaster um but uh, and myself included usually but the the comics uh, or anybody really a lot of people just just chase very superficial things and it's i understand it i understand why where it comes from and why but you have to recognize what you're doing because you have to think about this thing long term this isn't a year this isn't two years this is the rest of your life. And if you, there's going to be a certain point where you stop being attracted to that person physically. I know that sounds crazy, but uh, we all age and we get gross looking. And there's going to be a point in time where you're going to be like, hey, this person uh, is super gross. And you have to, and do you still like them? <laughs> do you still like to hang out with them? Do you still want to go do stuff with them? Or was everything based on the fact that you thought that they were cute or you thought that they were attractive or all that stuff. That being said, I'm, if Casey, if you are listening to this, I think you're a knockout. You're great. <laughs> yeah. Good recovery, my yeah. man. Great recovery. <laughs> Whoa, <and> the coffee <laughs> is strong. Um, but no, I, I would say that people put their emphasis in relationships on the complete wrong thing. You have to start with how well do you like actually get along? Like if you've exhausted conversation with this person, do you just make something up and they roll with it or do they shut down? They not want to hear, like, do they get tired of listening to you yammer on? Like, what is the, what's the relationship like? You know, I, I really looked at this like with a scientific method, but, um, Casey and I would talk about work and we would joke about work, but I was like, it is the only thing that we are, you know, uh, enjoying is just like a shared experience. What are we also talking about things that are, not, you know, just things that are just out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Because sure. then you're reliant on the things that you experience and not the two people that you are. You have to kind of self-generate it. Um, so, yeah. So we that was like a huge thing for me. We would always kind of joke about everything and nothing, you know? Uh, I remember that you have always had a special relationship with your sister and your father. Yeah, I can sure. remember so many times them coming and spending time. Your <laughs> sister went to the college of Charleston. She went to college with uh, me. Yeah. With, with you, or, or she was there before you. She but, was a uh, father over there. Yeah. So you, you've got such a heavy um, emphasis on relationship, particularly with, with females. Um, yeah. Where, where does yeah. that come from? I would say that um, it's probably because of the void. You know, I, as you know, Wes, my mom passed away when I was uh, very young, uh, when I was two. And I think that my sister was, was really, I, I mean, this didn't start out this way. We always fought and stuff when we were kids. But as we got older, there was really, you know, that was, that was something that I always looked to. You know, Catherine was always somebody who um, I could rely on for, you know, that kind of support. And she was just like such a, you know, huge, huge help in my development as a person. Um, my dad, uh, is the same, it's the same kind of thing, but for different reasons. I mean, he, he had to play both roles really in the, uh, raising us, which I will never understand how he did that, but he raised the two of us by himself and, 
Um, I'm sure there were times where he just wanted to end it all. But I think the void of, of not having a mother figure there really kind of like pulls you to that, that side where you're like, well, this is, I'll help out with this role as well, you know? So, right. um, I get an understanding of that and an appreciation of that. And I think that that like, you know, um, that kind of is reflected in, in adulthood. What do you think are some of the teachings that your old man being, <laughs> being both roles in the family, what do you think some of those, some of the things that you take and that you walk with on a daily basis from your pops? That's, that's a cool, that's a cool, well played yeah. to him, man. Excellent. Uh, yeah. Job well, now I'm going to, now that. I'm going to trash him. I have, <laughs> I have one, there's one piece of advice that he would know that I'm about to say if he knew how technology worked. Um, he, <laughs> So when I was younger, I was in the car and I was being bad. I don't know what I was doing. I was being a jerk. And he, he had this long lecture with me. And this is like famous in our family. He was like, he was just giving this huge lecture. And then at the end of it, he's, he was wrapping up his point And he said, you just, you get more bees with honey. And I was like, well, then what? Like you get more bees and honey than what? And he was like, well, then just being an asshole. And so in our family, <laughs> it's, you get more bees with honey than just being an asshole. And uh, that's been a great life lesson of his. The second one that I want to tell you is not a real one. This is no joke. I had a dream two nights ago. And it was, I called him to tell him that I had this dream and I cracked him up. Uh, I dreamt that my dad, this is going to go on a tangent. I dreamt that my dad was going to vote for an owl in the upcoming election. And he was going to vote for an owl. And I was arguing with him. And I was like, why are you going to vote for an owl? Like, give me reasons why an owl would be a good president. And he was like, well, the owl would ask a lot of questions. And I was like, well, you need to be more specific. Why would you vote for an owl? And he, he looked at me and he said, Ben, at the end of your life, you're going to be looking in a mirror and you're going to say, I was a fucking little bitch. <laughs> and, then, and I woke up at that exact moment laughing. It was like I called him immediately and I told him and he was just he was just dying laughing. So that's awesome. Uh, those are my two dad lessons, one of them real, one of them in my own head. He was like, Yep, that sounds like me. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so you your your uh wit is passed down through your pops? Uh he would love to hear you say that. Uh, uh. <laughs> Yeah, no, I would say yeah. He's he's always kind of been a jokester. I always wanted to tell. He would tell jokes at occasionally at like family get-togethers and stuff. And I always wanted to participate, but I was too young to understand right. jokes. So like when I was five, I would try to do that. And he would he would just tell me to, to zip it. But I would like you know, I got a joke, and it would just be nothing. It would be a nothing, you know. Like <laughs> the house was red. <laughs> <laughs> and I would do it in the same inflection as everybody else. And then they would be like, okay. Right, guys. Right. The house is right. right. Isn't that what everyone's laughing at? Uh, I love it. So, I love yeah. it, man. So fam family's always been big. Is is losing your big. mother at a young age, is, is that the hardest thing that life has thrown at you today? I would have to say, I mean, to me, I would say no, because it wasn't on me. I think that that was probably the hardest thing that's been thrown at my dad. Because, to, like, I grew up, it felt normal. Um, and so, you know, it's your responsibility of being a kid, and it's pretty easy. It's just do what, do what you're told-ish. And 
watch cartoons and you know like <laughs> you're gonna be a kid no matter what and uh that's easy but uh raising kids is hard and doing that by yourself is hard um so i think that that's that's definitely on my dad and he did he did a nice enough job where uh it it feels like that wasn't the hardest thing you know what i mean awesome so what is what is the toughest thing you've had to endure this to this moment in your life um it really um, i wish i could give you a more powerful answer than what i could give you like uh, i have my arm bit by a shark uh, I got, <laughs> <laughs> can i make it up uh yeah i was mauled by a bear um <laughs> I think, I think you could go whatever direction you want to. I think sure. for, for me, Ben, I think you know a little bit about my story, man. I, mm-hmm. um, you know, w- with identity loss and you talk about the superficiality that, that you mentioned earlier, you know, I'm sure you saw a lot of it when I was younger uh, and I was, I was living with you. I was just motivated purely on being a pro athlete. It's the only mm-hmm. thing I ever wanted. And yeah. all of my decisions were made around that macro dream Mm -hmm. so the micro was really easy for me because i had that goal right Right. and that was where i wanted to go where i wanted to head and i didn't realize that all of the anxiousness that made me train really hard and stay structured in a schedule when i got that that uh, goal taken away and when soccer left i was left with all this anxiety man that i couldn't exercise and release you know and i was pent up in this house and i became so anxious to the point of almost suicide and it um and it changed me it it allowed me to look at myself and and i guess more of a question is has life ever put anxiety or fear or worry into your life where you've looked in the mirror and said i don't know if i can keep going or or anything like that yeah i had i mean for the first I moved to New York five years ago, just this happy, happy, stupid kid. And I, uh, about two years in, I just all of a sudden just started getting these panic attacks out of nowhere. And, Whoa. um, it was like, it was really scary because I would have loved, it sounds crazy, but I would have loved to have had a, a source, an identifiable source of why I was getting panic attacks because that then I felt like I could tackle it or address it or do something to fix it. But because they kind of came out of nowhere, I would just be sitting in my room watching Netflix. And then all of a sudden the room just like shrunk and I was short of breath and I felt like I was having a heart attack and I would get up and I'd be breathing, you know, breathing really heavily and I'd like go throw up or something, you know, whatever it was, it was like consuming and I had no idea where it was coming from. And I, I just thought that I was broken or something was wrong. I mean, Maybe that is that is what happened, but um, I thought that I would never be fixed. You know, this was happening so frequently. I was having so much anxiety that I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to function, and I was scared that anything that I would do would trigger it, which of course helps trigger it. It's it's like a cycle that you can't get out of because you're like, I don't know where this is. It's like it really is like the well, if you're gonna you're gonna go into work and you might be attacked by somebody, but only if you're anxious and you think about being attacked by somebody. It's like, well, I'm not, not going to think about being attacked by somebody if that's the, <laughs> what's might happen to me. Um, so that was kind of what was happening in my body. Um, I saw some, I went to a therapist. I saw some, um, you know, I didn't last long in those because I didn't have the money to pay for a therapist, which added to the anxiety. And so it's like, it, it, it eventually got down to this, like, um, just breaking the cycle, um, for me, uh, and then, and 
um, kind of coming to terms with it, rationalizing it, and just saying like, you're not broken. This is not a permanent thing. Nobody has like, has it permanent. It's not a disease like that. It's just, you know, you dealing with some of your issues and some of your stress and like putting things putting things together. And um, one of I the like bigger- that terminology, I like the terminology, yeah. breaking the cycle. Yeah, uh, you needed I, to. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are so focused on what's actually happening that they're that they just like you said they convince themselves that that will never change and it's always going to be like that what what are some yeah yeah, what are some things that you use to break the cycle uh well the first thing that i used was medicine i tried Uh, i tried to for me it was it was just a raw break in the uh in the anxiety itself so i went to the doctor i had um i got prescribed xanax and i probably took one one of those pills because I didn't I heard that they're very addictive so I didn't want to do them. So I took one when I had a panic attack and that helped. And after that I was like, okay, I'm just gonna have these in my bag as like a safety blanket. Right. And if I ever get a panic attack out of nowhere, I can take one and it'll be fine. And that safety of that those things being in my bag stopped the panic attacks. The fear of having panic attacks every day was stopped because I had the, like, you know, the solve, at least right. I had something that I felt like was the solve before, you know, so I could go tackle the root issues. So once like I was able to convince myself that this was not a permanent disease, that was at least the first step for me. Um, I wish I had the knowledge that I had now to break it, but I don't, uh, and I didn't, but after that, it was just a matter of, um, uh, understanding myself a little bit better for me. Um, I came to the realization that I've always had, uh, I think the way I can describe it for a lot of people is you have these base levels of fear or anxiety, or, you know, you have this base level of, of things and it's kind of like whack-a-mole, right? Like for me, it would pop up in different situations. Like maybe I'm scared of flying one, one month or one year. I'm really scared of flying, or maybe I'm, you know, scared of failing, or maybe I'm scared of something else. But it's the same fear. It's just being pushed in different directions. Um, so you have to understand that you have these levels. And it's not about the, the actual thing that you're focused on. It's not about the plane. It's not about your fear of failure. It's not about your fear of being alone. It's just you have this, you have fear. And you have to, you have to tackle fear itself. <laughs> Is this getting yeah. a little bit Winston Churchill-y? Um, <laughs> Uh, so yes, like it's just, it's just like a pocket inside of you. It's your, it's your chemical makeup and you just have to understand that, appreciate it and deal with that. Don't deal with the things that it, it produces, deal with the, the notion that you have this in you. And so once so you accepting once you, it from the beginning that, okay, this is an issue is that me. is inherent to human, to well, the human so, experience. Yeah, it's so much easier when, you know what, it kind of takes the teeth out of it when you're on a plane and you you're scared of flying but then you're like you know what i'm not really scared of flying i'm scared of being scared of flying and so when you're on the plane and you're like this isn't my fear of flying this is my fear and then everything kind of shifts the focus shifts once you stare at it in the face it's not you're not focused on flying anymore and then you're not scared of flying it's weird. It's a weird relationship with it, but you have to appreciate it. You just, it. Need, you just yes. need one thing to kind of knock you out of it. 
And once you're out of that little spin cycle, then you can, you can get out of it again. You know, once you figure out how to turn yourself upright, you can do it. How do you kick yourself out of that dark spot? Uh, I just think you, you really have to, you really have to understand yourself better. And what I mean by that is you need to understand that nothing that you're doing and nothing that is going on with you is unique to you. You're not the only one who's experiencing whatever it is you're going through. Um, you're one of many, many, many people. I, I used to say like, so uh, one of my one of my friends, you know, they have that like phrase, you're one in a million. It's like, <laughs> yeah. okay, well, there's like 7,000 other people like you on the planet, if that's the case. Right. Because there's a lot of people on here. You forget there's billions of people and everybody's got their problems. And it's, you know, it, it all kind of manifests itself in different ways. But if you think that what you're going through and your problems are unique to you and woe is you and it's only you, and this is a rare once in a, once in a several lifetimes, you know, issue, you're so wrong. There are countless other people who have gone through the same thing. More than likely, it's one of the extremely more common things than, you know, like if it's an anxiety thing or if it's whatever. There's so many people who suffer from that. I mean, self, self-prescribed, self-described or, or not, you know, um, there's a lot of people who, who are going through what you're going through. And hopefully that's enough for you to rationalize it and say, I don't read about these people in the news. Like person is cursed with worse anxiety or yeah. like, you know, like yeah. somebody doesn't know what they're going to do with their life. Like put it on CNN. Like everybody comes to that point. And you just have to not dwell on it and you have to focus more on the solutions and focus more on moving on and, and rationalizing it and, and, you know, understanding it's, it's, it's more common than you think it is. And hopefully that can, that can, it's fine. You can kick yourself out. What I've learned, Ben, is my darkness fuels me, man. It becomes, Mm -hmm. it becomes my gas in my fuel tank. Some people that is, that is a appropriate reaction to it. Sometimes I think like, sure. If you can, t- if you can take a, if you can take a bad thing and turn it into a great thing, like that's, that's awesome. I mean, I that's that's really really good. Well, what's unfortunate about me, and it's probably a habit that I need to break, is that I I need an antagonist at all times. I have to have something I'll to play against. You, Wes. You is know? that what you're saying? I'll be, <laughs> I will call you every morning and just. Try. You know, I need one of your gifts that I could just turn on that immediately. I'm gonna make a gif me. of you dancing in a little ballerina's outfit, <laughs> and it's gonna say "Dumb, dumb, Wes." Stupid Wes can't do anything, and then I'll just send it to you every morning. It's motivation. I love it. I love it. Here's an interesting question that when I was thinking about questions to ask you, I had to think of interesting things to be able to kind of harness the creativity that you have. So I want you to imagine this scenario, right? So here's the, here's the question for you. Okay. You're you at 10, you at 15, you at 20. So five, five year increments from 10 to 30. And each version of you is sitting around a round table, having dinner with each other. Oh boy. What this do you? Is, this is a whole. We're first of all <laughs> McDonald's, right? We're sitting around, we're eating. Well, I've food. seen your di- I've seen your diet firsthand, and yeah, um, there's no telling what would be on that plate. And it, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to be. Li- <laughs> I can tell you that. Don't eat that. That would never <laughs> say that. Yeah, we never. Absolutely yeah. not. Uh, you had five five year increments, and you're sitting around the table. Um, what What would yeah. you like to tell yourself in each one of those 
increments that that you think could you know would you not say anything to yourself man. because you're in a cool spot right now man you've really I, well. I thought of you know what the weirdest thing about this is that i've thought about something similar to this okay. first of all i used to think man if like if if time travel ever exists in the future i hope that my future self comes back to this exact moment right here i'm going to memorize it i hope he comes back to this moment of course i forgot it uh, but i hope he comes back to this exact moment and tells me like what i should be doing and how to change it and, and now now that i'm 30 i'm like i would never do that i would never go back in time and fuck with that because um i was i at least as far as 30 goes i was on the right i was on the right path i don't think that i would try to smooth out anything that was kind of uh, rocky just because th there's only like that's how you're going to learn from that situation is to go through it a little bit it's the best lesson you know somebody can tell you something i may have said something that is so true on this podcast that someone heard it and was like yeah okay <laughs> but they won't they won't feel it until they go through it and then you feel it and you're like yes okay i see what that guy was talking about now so I wouldn't correct, I would probably listen more than I would talk because I would be fascinated to watch 10-year-old, 15-year-old, 20, and 25-year-old Ben all hanging out with each other. That would be <laughs> a circus. Uh, but I would really, really like that. I, awkward, I don't know if 20, I don't know if 20 year old Ben would talk. He may just write boxed in verses. He'd be, to, he'd be, he'd be in a uh, do-rag and he would be slaying, <laughs> slaying lyrics. Like just, just I love destroying it. everybody. No, it was, it would be great. Well, um, you know, Ben, I, I really do believe that you, you, you've, you came into my life at a point where I needed humor because I took everything in life so seriously. Uh, uh, I'm sure you remember me very, very well. In that, and in I that failed time. you miserably. <laughs> no way, man. No way. You know, I, I have to give kudos to you. I've, I've watched from afar what you've done and I really loved it because in a world where, a lot of uh, people are so uh, easily drawn to what others are doing. You you found a way to create your own space and to, to pursue your passion and really find out what you're good at and create your lifestyle around your strong suits. I think that's Thank what you, really Liz. living is, man. I think that's I, I really do want to honor you in that. All of all of Come your on. accolades are are great, man. They really are. I'm, I'm proud of you. It's so good to I be able to reconnect with you. Tell Can me I this. throw it back? Can I throw it back for a second? Yeah, you don't I, need to do that, man. I love, I just love Wes. <laughs> oh <laughs> Let me, I have a speech prepared. No, man, all like right. I, I love everything that you're doing too. I, I love watching all my friends get older and grow and, you know, change. And I always am like fascinated where somebody's going to go. Yeah. And I'm really happy to say that, um, you know, you're leading the charge in terms of my friends who have uh, gone through, you know, something really you went through this whole career and you went through this you achieved you know as far as i'm concerned you achieved some great success and like you now have have transitioned that into an entirely different level of success which is really cool and i'm I, I'm excited to see where you go. It'll be fun. <laughs> I'm guessing success is all relative, but you know, I'm, I'm just inspired to continue. What yeah. a message you have, and and you, everyone has one, right? And you just got to get to the story. And be, I, I got a message last night from a, I'm an individual from Vancouver, where I spent seven great years of my life. And, I heard Vancouver's very nice. Oh man, you'll get there one day. I know. I hope so. Hootsuite is there, yeah. and I think Hootsuite and Twitter work very well together. Yeah, maybe I should go make a trip and just say I have to do a business thing. <laughs> 
but the, the, the individual, the girl, and I was struggling a bit last night with some fear with the fear, you yeah. know, how am I going to, how am I going to create, I, I see the vision. I know where it's going to go, but I don't know how to get there and yeah. was struggling with it. And right on time, I get a Twitter direct message of this girl who moved to Vancouver from Germany back in 2010. But she said to me, it's, it's phenomenal the way you have taken an, a, a negative experience and turned it into a positive. I and that, so that was agree. the fuel that I needed to be able to have this conversation with you today. And I want to throw that back at you, man. You've had, you've had a lot of reasons in your life to be able to, to be a victim. And each time you figured out, okay, how do I make myself better to make this situation better? And I love to see yourself. I, uh, so I can, well. I have two pieces of like golden advice that I could, I, mean, I could tattoo on my chest if I wasn't so scared of tattoos. <laughs> uh, number one is this is just from a career thing i might lose number two so i gotta make sure i remember number two um number one is if you are a lot of people and i think you touched on this way earlier but when you're um deciding on what your career is and when you're trying to map out your life which is natural everybody kind of does that a lot of people get caught up in the long term and this is going to sound cliche but i'll explain it so hopefully it's not but um you can't focus on it's getting set on like a, a specific long-term goal because you miss out on other opportunities. And what I mean by that is like, if I wanted to be, okay, I want to be a, a, I don't know, a creative director at an ad agency. You know what I mean? That's like yeah. in my head. I'm like, that's my goal. That's where I want to be when I'm 10 years from now. And this is like drilled in a lot of people's heads. They're always like, what are you going to be 10 years from now? You need to pick a path and you need to stick with it and blah, blah, blah. That's total... I'm purposely cursing for shit. That's a <laughs> terrible piece of advice because if you are, if for me at least, I, I'm on this path of kind of like, all right, let's see where, let's see where we go. And at each stage of my journey, there was kind of like a reassessment. So I would go to one job and I would do something. And then I would say from this position, what's available to me, where, which direction would I like to go in? And then I would pick one, based off of like what I wanted to do, meaning like, meaning like this seems fun. This seems cool. This is a really good job. So when I was a bartender, I was like, what am I going to do now? You know, I was doing some comedy and I said, okay, well, I want to move to New York. That's just short term. That's not a long-term goal. I just said, I want to move to New York because maybe I, I want to do some stand-up in New York and I need a job that will let me do stand-up in New York, which means I need a job that will allow me to be silly and stupid and have fun so i got a job at gawker which rest in peace um <laughs> it just died this week um so i got a job at gawker doing ad operations which is an entry-level job i interviewed for the job and it, i know nothing of ad operations i never wanted to be in ad operations i didn't even know what it meant but i got a job working at a company that i thought was cool and so i was like all right that's a cool new york job they'll let me do whatever i want to do so from there i worked for about a year and a half and then when I was ready to move, I hunkered down, I looked around and I said, okay, what's the next step? And the next step for me was a small company at the time called BuzzFeed. And I was like, that company seems like so much fun. I love their writing. Like no one knows about this thing. A couple of my friends went over there. Maybe I'll try this company. And I got an account management job over there, which was a step up from where I was doing. It was, you know, more client, more talky, more talky, less worky. Yeah. Um, and then from there, I was in that department and I was like, you know what I'd really like to do? I'd love to write. The writers 
are so funny. I think I could write some stuff that's funny. So I started writing and I moved over to the writing department, the creative department. And then from there, it just kind of like levels up. But that whole time, if my job was like, okay, I want to be this, anything that didn't smell like it would help me with that job, I wouldn't take that opportunity. So when you pick a long-term goal like that, you're trying to find the pieces that fit that puzzle that gets you to that spot. But you're ignoring a lot of really good opportunities that are next to it or around it. And um, I, I can't recommend that enough that you should not do that. I really, okay. think that, I really think that people need to focus more on short-term, short-term advances and find ones that you really like that make you feel good. In one so way go or off the go off the feeling. Gary Vaynerchuk always says that I go off yeah. my intuition and I make decisions. Intuition, to, uh, yeah, it's all about how I feel and and what totally really makes sense to to me internally. So yeah. that, that that piece of Big advice, one. I agree with that one thousand percent. Do not do not do not do not do not unless you're like a doctor and you need to be like I need to go to medical school for these steps. Fine, everything else, do not. Do not, do not, do not pick it too early. Just go and just do your thing. And then maybe you could do some medium term stuff when you're later, you know, you're older. So that's one, that's one, like if I had a kid, I would tell that kid that, um, that poor kid in the future. Um, <laughs> the second piece of advice, which I do remember, and this has become particularly relevant with a lot of people that I, I know, there's a common thread to me between successful people and not successful people. And that thread is who are you blaming for issues? When you see people who are like all the way down to the level of like the crazy guy that's yelling at people in the subway, all the way up to like, you know, your, your 40 year old friend who can't hold a job. Every single one of them has a problem where they shift the blame. When you shift the blame, to somebody else. And this is one of those times where someone's going to, if someone suffers from that, they're going to hear me say that and they're going to go, oh, okay, yeah, I don't do that. You do. And you need to be so critical. If there's ever an area where you need to be critical of yourself, it is how critical you are of yourself, which is really wow. hard to break. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you need to be, you are your number one worst critic always at any job. In any situation, it's my fault. It's my fault if something goes wrong. To the point of like, if I'm working with somebody and they actually do screw up, it's my fault for putting them in a position to screw up. I need to be able to operate outside of limitations. I need to be able to work so well and do such a good job that it doesn't matter how bad somebody else is at their job, that I'm doing such a good job that it's, it's fine. Do you understand? Right. Like it's yeah. always, it's always your fault. And there's always something that you could have done to make the situation better. And the people who fail consistently are the people who go into work and they come back home and they say, Derek did such a bad job today. Man, it's frustrating to work with Derek. I wish that Derek didn't exist anymore. You know what the problem is? He's probably saying the same shit about you. And the two of you guys are not getting anything done. So you, you, the people who are who do that make really bad decisions in life and are really not fun to be around and sure. no one likes to hear it and it just is a huge huge weight on your shoulder so i would recommend to anybody if this is if this is kind of like 
sounds maybe a little bit like you. If you've ever said something like that, shift it back, and it's on. It's on you. It's, it's whatever it is. You're always in control. You're always in control. I I am the first person to say I'm sorry. I'm the first person to own it if something goes wrong, and I'm the first person to talk about it and say, you know what, I could have done a better job there. That's my fault. Let me think about ways to do it better, or like let's be. Let's like move fast this and whatever. But the people who come home and say, I, I can't stand my coworkers, man, or I can't stand. There was a great quote. This is like a staple of mine. Um, I don't know who said it. I, w- I wish I could give. This is a, a deficiency. I wish I could give more people credit, but I don't remember them. Um, <laughs> but the great quote is, if you go into work and on your way to work, you run into an asshole. You ran into an asshole. But if everybody that you run into is an asshole, you're an asshole. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, you, if, if you're the kind of person who's like, that guy's an asshole and that guy's an asshole, you're the asshole. Just be, right. the, you know that you're the asshole. Sure. Sure. And I wish more people felt that, not just believed it, but felt it and, and operated like that. So that is, that's, that, that's my that's life. Incre- core, that's incredible advice, man. What a. Or like, I waited to the very end. You to waited to the very end to hit a couple Last, of haymakers. Um, <laughs> Steph Curry, woo, um, woo. man, listen, That's what he does every time he shoots, woo, yeah, and and <laughs> he doesn't even watch it fall into the hoop, man. He no, just woo, uh, we got yeah. to watch him by the way in college. We uh, did that it. That was like awesome. front. We got we got courtside for Steph Curry, yeah, before yeah. anybody knew that was cool. <laughs> well, he never even walked over half the halfway line in the court. Like he just he, he stopped he right slopes. at halfway shot. He shot and turned back around just, and got in his defensive he was, position. He was a killer. He just <laughs> crushed. He crushed us. Yeah, you crushed this podcast, Ben. I'm I'm so uh, appreciative hey. that you took some time out of your walk to I love Twitter you, man. This is great. in Brooklyn. Hey, man, I love you too, buddy. And and it's so good to catch back up with you. Let's let's stay a little bit closer together, man. Yeah, as far dude. As we, if you ever need a pasty t- Jewish contact. co-host, I'm here. <laughs> I love it, man. I'll throw it to you with ease and let you uh, alley you catch yeah. that alley. <laughs> All right, Ben, man, have a great Great. rest of your day at Twitter, dude, and uh, continue continue to be the man uh, that you always have been. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Ben Rosen, what an absolute legend. If you're interested to see some of his stand-up, you can catch him on YouTube. Just search his name, Ben Rosen, and you can find him very easily. Next week on the show, I'm bringing to you a two-time Canadian Football League champion, Shea Emery. This guy's a middle linebacker for multiple clubs in the Canadian Football League, and he won everywhere he went. He was a savage athlete. He's a savage human being. And he's a savage advocate for men's health. Shea Emery has a TED Talk about what it means to redefine masculinity as a man. This topic is very dear to my heart. And I'm excited to bring Shay onto the show and share with you guys just what made Shea Emery a champion. If you're enjoying the show, make sure you engage with us. It's very important that I am bringing you the content that you're looking for on a daily basis. I want to make sure that I continue to motivate and inspire you to create space in your life for a better version of yourself. So reach out to me, engage with me on any of my social media sites, and we'll have a conversation. We'll open up dialogue and we'll bring you what it is you're looking for. I am motivated and inspired to do that for you. So as always, make sure you continue to pursue the best version of yourself and create space for more awesomeness. Life is great, and it is everything that you make it. Choose to make it unbelievable. We'll see you guys next week. Let it go, let it out, let it sing, let it